Hi, I'm Michael Wiafe. And I'm Demetria Wack. Welcome to PolicyWise, a podcast from Youth Leadership Institute in collaboration with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council, where we challenge assumptions, discuss, and question policy to find out, is this policy wise? Each episode, we invite current and rising policy leaders to discuss current events, social issues, and political topics in order to promote youth voice and establish a model of intergenerational policy discussions. On today's episode, we are giving a little treat to those of you who missed the 2020 California Economic Summit. We had a panel conversation between former PolicyWise guests Ellie and Jade, along with myself, about what we learned about in 2020 and what it means for our view of California's future, moderated by Daisy Castellan of Lucas Public Affairs. Please also enjoy the inspiring open spoken word by self-proclaimed artivist Callie Oslett, also known as K-Raw. Enjoy! I don't want to talk about equality before talking about equity or California dreams that don't include dream acts. I don't want to talk about new arenas before the unhoused get a portion of this unused real estate. We have the best weather, but blue skies can't always disguise what lingers underneath. In a state that prides itself on freedom and democracy, 2020 has revealed to us that freedom is the mission, but democracy may be the real California dream. That if we can scream Black Lives Matter and argue about Prop 16, I think we can all benefit from unlearning some things. But what I do know is what it's like to have a dream deferred before you're old enough to spell the word, born and raised. So I know that it's true when they say golden state You can travel to LA and make your dreams come true. Then come to NorCal and take San Francisco in for the view. One of the most diverse places in existence today, which gives us the task of being an example of pace. But you're only as strong as your least able-bodied member, remember. And in my city, we're experiencing homeless sweeps like every other day. And I ask myself, why? Why doesn't everyone have access to a grocery store, no one hour bus ride? Why doesn't everyone have access to clean water? Why isn't affordable rent automatic when wages don't match market demands? You can't put a Band-Aid over a bruise or fix a weak system with a strong mayor initiative. We need real voices. We need change. At the core of our institutions, we need a variety of thought diversify the brains when you ask me what it means to be a young Californian. It means understanding that if you want to see something happen, then you have to step into your streets and make it so. Understand your communities. People still come here for gold in the form of opportunities. We need to allow our truth to be the foundation of the work we're doing. Our LGBTQ lives matter because how you love or express doesn't decipher whether you have the right to exist. And we know that that's blatantly obvious that hate doesn't belong in politics. Undocumented folks are our backbone because we are all foreigners, especially in a capitalist land. So if we don't give each other a helping hand and empower ourselves to use our voice to make demands, we'll forever be distracted into thinking this was the plan and it wasn't. I'm a California dreamer a California-born thinker, a Sacramento public school learner, a result of the system like many of us. So if anyone knows how to implement policies, we know what's up. Nothing about us without us, right? Means that nothing around us will come down on us because the foundations are strong and it's only up from here. Creating a space of freedom to heal generations. I don't wanna talk about power before peace. 
or peace without acknowledging real California dreams. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much, Kayra. Thank you, Callie, for kicking off our second day in such a powerful way. And I want you to know that we heard you. Um, and uh, last year we had an absolutely amazing, inspiring panel elevating youth voices. And since then we've been busy. Uh, we've set up a young leader council uh, that is an integral part of our work. They're participating in our work groups. They're helping shape public policy. They're developing their own agenda and they are equal leaders in everything that we do. And I'm so proud of that. And I'm so grateful to have so many amazing young folks joining this group. Um, so without any further ado, I'm gonna move into our first panel of the day, which is again, uh, the young leaders. Uh, so please uh, welcome to the stage uh, some of my favorite young leaders in California, uh, Eleanor Arsbacher, Michael Wayafe, Jade Manana, and the panel today will be moderated by Daisy Castellan of Lucas Public Affairs. So take it away, folks. Thank you, Micah and Callie, for that beautiful performance. And a special thank you to our young leaders here today who will be sharing their unique perspective and stories of how they're moving California forward. So first, all of you are a part of the Young Leaders Council. And over the past six months, you've dedicated almost every Friday to joining the Zoom call to discuss ways young people are influencing policy in California and how you guys are making meaningful engagement to move California forward. And I know that on a Friday afternoon, sometimes the Zoom call is the last thing I wanna do. So I applaud your dedication. Um, so let me ask you, you know, what drives each one of you to have this dedication? Jade, let's start with you. Thank you so much, Daisy. What drives me is that I want to leave the world with more than I took from it. And it's a pretty simple concept. And I believe that it is possible in seeing everyone do their part to create a fairer and more equitable life for our families is really inspiring. My parents are both immigrants from Mexico. My dad's side had a really inspiring story that I would love to share and my my parents immigrated to california specifically because it is the golden state not because it was close by or because it was sunny like california was something special and it was a dreamy land where people all over the world are drawn to it because of its possibilities when my dad came here my abuelita came with one luggage for seven people. They didn't speak the language. They had no place to live, but they came here for the same reason you're here today. A couple graciously took my family in and gave them a roof over their head. We were immensely grateful and the seven of them lived in a very humble garage. My abuelita got an amazing opportunity to go cook um, and work for a restaurant in Wyoming. This opportunity would help our family so much um, be able to get people on their feet and she loved cooking. But we didn't end up going. 
And we have, it's not that we have anything against Wyoming, it's a beautiful state, but it wasn't California. And even though we had an opportunity for a job in Wyoming, that was not what we were looking for. Our California dream was something more than just having a job or being able to buy a home. Our California dream was being able to live with people who look like you, people who support you, to live in a community that is safe and unified. And that was what California offered my family that Wyoming didn't at the time. Over the summer, I am so grateful to have interned for California Forward, and I worked with the amazing team to develop a California Dream Index, uh, which helps track um, social and economic mobility that you can view. It is actually debuting during the summit. But those are the stories that motivate me. And the lesson I learned is that the sad truth is that these stories are less common. I know so many families who maybe didn't become naturalized or that opportunity made it so much harder. And so being on the other side and seeing a dream come true is what motivates me. Thank you, Jade, for sharing that. And I think your family story um, embodies the California dream besides about how that perhaps isn't possible for a lot of families anymore in here in California. And I think it's really important that you share that perspective. Um, Ellie, what drives you? Yeah, Jade, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, I personally feel like I'm very motivated um, by this desire to create a livable future for myself and my peers. Um, I feel like so many of my thoughts and goals have this little asterisk next to them that's like, if global warming allows, which it, it sounds a little dramatic, um, but I really do feel sometimes that, that the future feels intangible because of the climate crisis. And I don't wanna be someone who sits on the sidelines and watches as people who won't be affected down the line are making decisions for those of us that will. So I, I definitely feel responsibility to be a representative for youth and to make sure that youth are included in these conversations that we've traditionally been exempt from. Um, and I also just feel like youth have so many innovative ideas. Um, um, and on not just how to avoid all of these catastrophic effects of climate change, but also how to design a future that's equitable in the process. Um, I know I personally got involved in activism completely by accident. I, uh, um, I attended a climate strike um, in 2019, and I found myself at this strike holding a poem that I'd written the night before about all of these intense feelings I had about global warming. Um, but I was so nervous to go up and read it in front of the crowd. Um, and it was my friends and family there that like really encouraged me to walk up and take that step to get involved. So I feel sitting here with you and, and Michael and Jade, I'm reminded how just a couple things really could have prevented me from, from being here and that there are so many other young people with brilliant ideas and opinions that don't have opportunities like this. So I, I really am motivated by a desire to help open up spots for other young people to step into leadership roles and to incentivize you all that are listening to, to take steps to intentionally engage with youth, um, especially on the issues that we carry like climate change. Thank you, Ellie. And I think that's kind of, you know, not dramatic what you said about putting asterisks next to things that you want to achieve in this life uh, because of climate change. And I think that that's really gut-wrenching and hits to the core of what probably many youth are feeling. Um, so thank you for sharing that, um, Ellie. Michael, 
tell us a little bit about what drives you. Well, thank you, Daisy and Jade and Ellie. You all like the, the actions and passions. Uh, I just feel the energy through the screen, <laughs> like we're forced to in this world uh, today. Um, in California, we're blessed with a wealth of diversity. And so, you know, kind of similar to what Jade shared, my family immigrated to this country when education. Um, but I was nine years old, uh, nine months old, I'm sorry, um, from Africa. And what we didn't know when we first came here is that I had health issues. Um, my, both of my parents were international students and they had university health, uh, but my older two sisters and I did not. That's a policy flaw. Um, they were forced to navigate an extremely complicated healthcare system here in the United States. Um, when I was one, the doctors diagnosed me with a failure to thrive, basically meaning that my body couldn't take in the necessary nutrients in order to survive. And the doctor told my mother, who was still a student, by the way, um, that I had a 50% chance of survival here and would have had 0% chance had we stayed. Um, but through the support of strangers who now became friends and university connections, uh, my, my parents were able to figure it out and I had surgery when I was two years old. And I don't tell the story to make anyone feel some sort of way or feel bad, but instead recognize kind of the power of uh, individuals capable of making a difference in people's lives, either directly or indirectly. Um, something as small as someone else is helping an immigrant uh, student family uh, with healthcare can save a child's life. And I think you all listening and, and us here on the call, on the panel can think of people who are directly or indirectly impacted by somebody else's actions and how that was able to kind of get us to achieve greater success in our own personal lives. Uh, similar to Ellie, I got involved very much so on accident. It was not uh, by intention. I asked far too many questions. Um, so when I entered university, one administrator actually fostered my inquisitive nature instead of squashing it. Um, it made me realize that I wasn't a change maker of tomorrow or a change maker of the future, but that I have the opportunity to create change now. And I don't think that that was something that I necessarily thought about. Um, um, until until Dr. Sandra Cook actually was the one that told me um, and that I can get involved now and fight for the change that I want to see um, either on campus or in the world broadly. So then three years later through involvement, I was elected president of the California State Student Association, which was a fantastic experience um, that, that was built on and informed by my, my past. And what really what I want to do is, is do as much as I can to build a California that allows everyone to follow their dreams, regardless of the barriers that were built into their life by policy factors or more. And historically, policy has been created by, honestly, and frankly, a very homogenous group um, that lacked the experience of many people being affected by their decisions. And if I can get involved in these conversations um, with possible insight and a little bit of experience and living in today's digital age, um, I, I'm all in. And I think that that's the perspective that a lot of members from Young Leaders Advisory Council has, is that we're really all trying to get engaged and get involved with our passions and trying to get involved. Thank you, Michael. And I think a theme that we heard was accidents, but you took those accidents and put it into a purpose. So I commend all of you for sharing your stories and um, that's very unique to California and to your own perspective. So thank you for that. Um, let's move into our next question. 2020 has been a historic year between mass uprisings for the Black Lives Matter movement, an unconventional election to say the least, a record wildfire season here in California. We're seeing one being burned right now. And of course, the global health pandemic um, that we're living in this year will have lasting effects on all of our lives. What is one thing that has become crystal clear because of this year and the unprecedented events? Ellie, let's start with you this time. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like your question kind of almost answers itself for me. 2020 has 
I think it's really shown us all how intersectional our world is and how we really can't separate COVID from Black Lives Matter, from environmental crises and, and all our other social issues, like they're all incredibly interconnected. Um, I think this year has really laid out incredibly clearly um, how divided we are and all of these inequities that exist and plague us on multiple different levels. Um, I, I almost kind of think of COVID sometimes as like a microcosm of climate change as a whole in the sense that it's showing us how these large global issues are really not impacting all of us equally um, and how communities of color specifically bear a very disproportionate burden and are most affected. So I think um, it's especially clear that we have a responsibility right now um, to recognize this intersectionality of all of these issues and then to move forward with empathy and to work with and to uplift um, communities that have been historically disenfranchised. Um, you know, as you mentioned in your question, I think one thing we've all been thinking of a lot are, are the wildfires. Um, and I think it's a perfect example of just how urgent our environmental issues are um, and how immediate and damaging the effects are. But it's also shown us how important it is to recognize the injustices that got us to this point and to understand that as we develop solutions, it's necessary to listen to the original stewards of this land and to indigenous leadership and practices. And I think it's um, a good example of how we can commit to social equity while also simultaneously solving our very pressing environmental issues. And I think for me, 2020 has really solidified that we cannot move forward without doing both. You're exactly right. I think the indigenous piece is something that's kind of bubbled up this year and something that's very important when part of that conversation moving forward. So thank you, Ellie. Michael, what has become crystal clear for you in 2020? Um, well, thanks. And Ellie, I think you, you kind of brought up extremely great points. There's been so much that has happened. Um, almost in a whirlwind speed that I, you know, I probably can't even sit here and recount all the list of events. It's like every day is a new global, you know, phenomenon. Um, but I think young people are experiencing this differently in, in, in a much different way uh, with the summer of change and, and forced to be, you know, online and taking school in this way, just, just the way we're having conversation right now is the way that we're in school. Um, I mentioned that I was in student leadership and when the first day at home order came by, uh, access to the internet was up there with, with basic needs on the priority list. And we can't talk about 2020 without talking about Zoom. And internet access is honestly a relatively new issue and was not critical to many people's lifestyle, you know, 15, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, but is extremely critical to many of those, and especially those of my generations who rely on, on it to do just about anything um, necessary for schools, paying the bills, professional economic advancement. Um, I would even argue that connectivity is required for social interactions, friends and family, uh, as social media continues, uh, continues to popularize. And uh, I think a, a lot of you grew up in, in, during this digital age where you know the internet was, was widely available or, or is to many of us, but that's not everybody. Um, um, and, and, you know, to think about how critical that is, and, and the panelists know this, Wednesday night, uh, because of the winds, Wi-Fi went out in my house. Um, some of the neighborhood lost power, uh, but, but we lost Wi-Fi and cell connection. And it was an extremely chaotic 24 hours trying to live life without internet, let me tell you. Um, and, and so I would say that that's something that, that now we are paying more attention to. Um, and also equity. I think I've heard the term equity more times in the past nine months than I have in the past, you know, 21 years in my life. Um, and so I think now our community and, and society is now gearing towards equity, realizing that we do need to uplift these communities who have not been uh, uplifted. Uh, we do need to pay attention to these communities because it's necessary to the survival um, of all of us. And instead of investing in communities that have always been investing in, we need to focus on those without the investment. Equity is the new key to economic progress. Um, and I think that, that 
that for me is what truly dawned on me um, during the past couple months and should be honed in on. Thank you, Michael. And you're totally right. It's, uh, internet is a necessity and we should make 2021 the year that we tackle the digital divide. Jade, what has become crystal clear for you? Thank you, Daisy. I will say I have, I have to add on um, to Michael's well said point that young people today are experiencing this pandemic very differently. We are missing out on our key life transitions. Graduations, I know Michael's representing the class of Zoom graduates in 2020. Um, moving away to college, marriage, buying our first homes. And these are all key life transitions that um, definitely we have experienced differently during this pandemic. We're more likely to work in sectors that are impacted by the pandemic, food, retail, transportation. I have a friend that works in the postal service. And according to the Urban Institute, in April of 2020, young adults are disproportionately renters who face greater difficulties paying rent. And we also face a greater risk of losing our jobs during the pandemic. And to add on to that, Pew Research in 2020 showed that young adults aged 18 to 29 are less likely to get their jobs back than those who are aged 30 to 64 um, since the pandemic. So what have I learned in 2020? I've learned sadly that we are further away from our goal than I thought we were. And I was forced to confront the world that I was living in. No longer was I living in a world that had two supportive parents, that had a roof over my head, dinner on the table. That was my world, but it wasn't the world. In this world, my beautiful state of California leads the nation in shocking homelessness rates. Racism is widespread and systemic, and there are not equal opportunities for children who are in the same school district. <laughs> So despite all of that, I still learned that there is hope in 2020. Seeing all people of all ages being included in these conversations today and being able to walk and to protest unjust systems with people who are all different um, has given me so much hope and I'm inspired by my peers, my family, uh, you, the person sitting on this screen watching me speak you are inspiring me because just because our world isn't fair today or maybe it might not ever be fair it does not mean that we should stop trying or get as close as we can because everyone deserves a chance to raise our families in a safe neighborhood to be able to buy our homes to live our lives that is the freedom that is promised um, so that is what i have learned in 2020. Thank you, Jade, and thank you for sharing those statistics. I mean, they're shocking um, and at the same time, not shocking, though. And I think we need to have young people and young people at the front of our minds when we make these policy decisions in the next upcoming months. So they need to be part of the recovery um, and should be top of mind. So thank you for sharing that. Um, our next question, um, let's talk a little bit about some advice. So if you could give a piece of advice to a group of people who lead organizations and create working groups and implement policy for all Californians, I wonder where we can find that audience, wink, wink. What would you give an audience like that? What kind of piece of advice would you give them? 
Michael, let's start with you. Well, luckily the audience is right in front of us. Um, yeah. But the advice that I, that I give you all uh, from my perspective is to be intentional about the inclusion of diverse young voices in what you do. Um, don't only give them an equal voice as everyone else in the room, but sometimes take that extra push to ensure that they feel comfortable to interject, provide perspectives. Um, it also might take some mentoring. None of us and none of you came out the womb ready to participate in conversations or do this work. Um, so sometimes it just takes patience and being ready to, to work with, with some folks who maybe have never been exposed to this space and answer patiently answer their questions. Um, I've been turned away from groups because I felt like I asked a question and they made me feel like it, you know, I was dumb for it. And it's, it's, I'm just a lot younger than you and I just don't have that experience and it doesn't mean that I'm less capable. Um, sometimes it's just because they don't feel included or that there's proper mentorship happening happening to foster a productive youth voice, what is needed to be drawn in and not pushed out. Um, I did want to take this moment to say that California Forward has done a great job. Um, so thank you to the California Forward team, um, especially Amber and David for being there on all those Friday afternoon calls, um, answering all of our questions, Susan and Micah, Lavera, everyone uh, on the team who's enabling us to really live out our passions and making a difference. Um, there's, there's really nothing about us without us. And I, I think as I mentioned before, policy has been and honestly still is um, created by people that are often unrepresentative of the diversity that exists in creating a diverse array of young voices who are now going to be prepared to take on the complex policy issues um, that, that are now uh, rampant in the world. Um, and it's going to be on us in a few years. And so why not give us the experience early? Yeah, Michael, I love that. There's nothing about us without us. Um, that's a good quote. We'll attribute to you, Michael. Um, Jade. What about you? What advice would you give this audience? I would ask them to change how they think of young leaders and young individuals and educate those who might have a perspective of young individuals that is um, not enabling. I want them to see us as an asset for the government. We are a large part of the workforce. We are voters. We can be a source of innovation and improved service. And quite frankly, we have had really recent experience going through a lot of the systems like education, trying to buy a home, going through college. So to see youth as an asset in these conversations, um, because we do want to participate in government and we do want to create a positive impact uh, on a personal level, on a widespread level. Um, and I think integrating, engaging young people will help build strong citizens and it'll increase trust and transparency between different generations. And at the end of the day, it is not a lack of ability from young people. It is a lack of opportunity for young people. Thank you, Jay. Ellie? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, and as Jade and Michael said, um, super, super important to include youth in these policymaking spaces, um, but also that it's necessary to design these spaces so that youth aren't just present, but also very comfortable to be active within this arena. Um, you know, I'm only 18, and I remember in high school, I was just 16 or 17, and I'd be sitting at a table where everyone else is over 50, and I would feel this very intense pressure 
to represent Youth Voice, but I was the only young person there with no backup. So, um, you know, even though I'm at the table, sometimes the language is too high level, or I was never directly asked for my opinion and didn't really have the courage to give it myself. And so I feel like it's, it's really easy to feel like you're not knowledgeable or experienced enough to have anything valid to say, even though I definitely did. Um, so I think it's important to recognize that it's really not enough to just have one or two token young people involved in these discussions. Um, and I think the fact that that's often the case kind of reflects um, this general attitude about youth that I've seen a lot recently. Um, I hear a lot about my generation that we're, you know, the hope of the future or that people will fix our planet. And, you know, I don't disagree, but I do think sometimes this rhetoric can be counterproductive. Um, yeah, we might be the hope, but we also need people who are currently in positions of power to feel that urgency also and to act immediately. And maybe we are the future leaders that will fix the planet, but why can't we also be leaders right now? Um, so I think we really need to make sure that youth are invited to the table feel empowered within decision-making spaces. And I think we also really need to reevaluate our motives for including youth in the first place, and then our attitudes and expectations when we do. That um, you all are leaders right now and can make change. And it's really a matter of political will. So I know we're running out of time, but I want to ask one more question. Give me one word, everybody, really quickly of how you're feeling after this session. Jade? Unified. Ellie? Energized. Michael? Motivated. Mine's inspired, and mine's inspired because of all of you. You give me inspiration for the future because the future is bright because of all of you. So thank you everyone for listening, and I hope you're giving this group of talented young people a big round of applause from your home. Thank you so much for listening to this important conversation. This was a podcast recording of PolicyWise. We are your hosts, Michael and Demi. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Ford and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Jared Amonos produced this episode and the music was created by Ian Post and sourced from artistlist.io. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussion with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion on PolicyWise.